0: Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. Over the past year, we've seen a push from numerous states, including our home state of Missouri, to redefine and pass religious freedom bills at a state government level. Each instance has come with controversy, including heated discussion of First Amendment rights and accusations of legalized discrimination against the LGBT community. I'm Corey Dugas, and today on SLU Law Summations, we're joined by Professor Chad Flanders, a constitutional law professor and scholar of religion and the First Amendment. Thanks for agreeing to talk with us today, Chad. Thanks for having me. I want to start off the conversation by asking about Senate Joint Resolution 39. Can you explain what this resolution puts forth?
1: All right, so it's got a lot in it. It's kind of an omnibus uh, religious liberty bill, if, if uh, at least... Uh, that's how I prefer to okay. see it, and it's got it's got a lot of bits and parts. Um, sometimes that uh, they overlap with uh, things that other states have have dealt with, um, and I'll and I'll, I'll go through just what I think the the text says. I mean, there, there's always going to be a distinction between what the text says and and what interpretations it'll bear. And I think a lot of the controversy about this bill is how broadly uh, it, it opens itself to interpretation, so that okay. it may end up protecting. Um, uh, individuals and religious organizations uh, in a lot of ways uh, not anticipated by those who drafted the bill. So, so let, let me just go through the f- four parts and briefly just say uh, what they are and, and what I think might have motivated them. Um, the first part um, is that uh, the state can't uh, impose any penalties on organizations, um, religious organizations, because they believe or act in accordance with their beliefs about same-sex marriage. I think what the motivation behind this was the fear that with the Supreme Court decision in Obergefell, there might be movements afoot to uh, take away taxes on status from churches, uh, maybe uh, take away. Uh, I can get a tax deduction if I give mm-hmm. money to a church or religious organization. They could take that away. Um, maybe take away accreditation from uh, religious schools that may have uh, positions antithetical to same sex marriage. The fear was that uh, the state might take away a lot of benefits or, in fact, uh, punish those institutions uh, because they uh, believe certain things about same sex marriage. Um, it, the statute, uh, this first part of the statute says believes or acts. I think the acts has gotten a lot of people. Uh, Worried about how far that extends, but we can maybe get to that later. Okay. So, um, so the first part um, just don't impose a penalty for their for religious organizations' belief about same-sex marriage. Um, part two is uh, kind of abbreviated elsewhere as pastor protection. So don't don't uh, penalize any member of the clergy, any sort of religious leader, for uh, declining to officiate or participate in a uh, marriage ceremony uh, dealing with same sex uh, couples, mm-hmm. um, so this is probably uh, uh, forbidden by the First Amendment to coercing uh, like a priest to officiate in, in, in a same sex marriage. Um, so there may be some redundancy in here. this is maybe uh, the part a lot of people agree would just be unnecessary because it 's already got constitutional. Uh, protections in place. So two is pastor protection. Uh, three, uh, it also goes to uh, churches, religious organizations, um, and it says the state cannot penalize any church or religious organization for not making space available for uh, same-sex uh, marriage uh, ceremony or celebration. Um, the, again, the fear is that, okay, I'm a church, uh, I have uh, space where that people can rent out for their marriage, even if I don't officiate over it, I may want to, uh, have control over that space mm-hmm. and say, no, we're not, our church doesn't believe in same-sex marriage. So we're not going to rent our hall or, uh, uh, any part of our church for you to, to, um, have your marriage ceremony or to celebrate your marriage. And then the fourth part, probably the most, uh, controversial part is deals with vendors. Um, so, uh, this part says the state cannot impose a penalty on any, uh, individual who declines to be a participant in a marriage or wedding ceremony or provide goods or services of expressional artistic creation for such a marriage or ceremony. I think the motivation from this is there's been cases in New Mexico, Colorado, um, a couple other states where a florist or a baker is asked to bake a cake or... uh, um, provide flowers, or mm-hmm. probably the one that started it all was a photographer who was asked to take photographs in a same-sex marriage, and they decline based on their religious beliefs. And then these states have state laws which prohibit discrimination on the basis of same-sex marriage, and these these, uh, these um, vendors, florists, mm-hmm. bakers, photographers, have uh, been fined, uh, penalized in some moderate ways for, for uh, declining to offer their services. So
0: this resolution is... Looking at both the church um, slash the pastor, and then also vendors as well. So it's kind of these two separate areas. Right.
1: There's even sort of I'd I prefer to look at it three levels, and I think that it, it, the protections get more controversial as you go out from the mm-hmm. core. Sort of the core is like the church, church and other houses of worship, mosques, synagogues. Um, I mean, the, the the Supreme Court has said uh, recently that the First Amendment gives special solicitude to the rights of like churches and houses of worship. Mm-hmm. So like. Um, Probably, like, the consensus seems to be in, 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 like, protect churches, protect sort of religious leaders in, in their official duties in the church, especially ministers. Uh there's a recent Supreme Court case that gave uh, religious organizations wide latitude to, to pick and choose their, their uh, ministers or religious leaders. So the core is sort of like churches and houses of worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, if you followed sort of the Obamacare contraceptive mandate, I mean, Obamacare, uh, the Affordable uh, Care Act, um, right from the start said, the contraception mandate, churches and other houses of worship, you're just exempt. Mm-hmm. So, so there's sort of a consensus. Like the, the core, if, you're, if your business is just religion and and sort of providing religious uh, goods and services to other people, get some protection. Uh, you get a lot of protection. Um, and then further out from that core, sort of religious organizations, maybe like religious-affiliated schools and hospitals. Um, that gets a little harder because they, they um, are – uh, present themselves as religious, uh, follow certain religious tenets. But at the same time, they're also uh, hospitals. Universities. Yeah, that's provide, not their only goal. Right, they provide mm-hmm. secular services. And they often uh, will hide and not only serve people who don't share the faith, they'll employ people who don't share the faith. Mm-hmm. And the question is, like, okay, when you're doing a mix of religious and secular things, are you through and through a religious organization? Is part of your religious organization, part of it's not? It becomes more complicated when, when we're just dealing with, like, uh, nuns in a, in a habit or priests in a church is sort of like that's easy it gets harder and then at the furthest uh, um, uh, sort of uh, periphery out from the core of churches and then a little further is the religious uh, organization and non-profits then you have sort of for-profits where you have like Hobby Lobby which is uh, I mean a, a uh, arts and crafts store, but also professes various religious principles and, nice. and seeks to run its business in accordance with those principles. Um, you have Elaine Photography, which is a photographer who uh, uh, adheres to certain Christian beliefs and has beliefs about marriage. That So it's like, okay, now they're not just in it for uh, providing uh, services on sort of a nonprofit profit basis. They're also in it for money. And so the question is, well, if you're in a commercial enterprise, should you have to follow the rules about serving Mm -hmm. all comers um, and not being able to discriminate. And and that, again, they have not only the the mix of purposes, but also the mix of motivations, where it's like, okay, you're in it for money, you're also in it for religious reasons, and and those are going to be probably the most controversial.
0: And it sounds like those three areas really sort of muddy the waters when you're talking about uh, defining different types of groups that are in that. right. So what are proponents of this resolution hoping to accomplish with the legislation?
1: Right, so— I think what—I mean, so you uh, can—I'll put it in a way that's sort of sympathetic to them. I mean, they feel, I I think, listening to Religious Talk Radio and and reading some of the the, um, articles written by the proponents of this bill, um, they're concerned about the impact of the Supreme Court's decision on same-sex marriage. They worry that it will um, uh, lead to uh, them losing their tax exempt status, being otherwise— uh, punished for their beliefs, and they say, "Look, we just want to practice our religion, mm-hmm. and and uh, America believes in free exercise of religion. We shouldn't be punished or penalized um, for believing the things that we do. We we should we should be accommodated, and and not. I mean, they 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 feel themselves, uh, I think, under siege, um, and in various places. And I mean, these court cases are." are they hold up as exhibit one. Like, look, I mean, people are, are have sincere beliefs about religion, and they, they, on those basis, they they act in ways um, contrary to some state anti discrimination laws, and, and they they are forced to suffer a fine. Um, so they sort of see it as as kind of like a defense. The phrase they throw around is it's a, a shield and not a sword. Like we yeah. don't we, we want to act according to our sincere religious beliefs. I mean, the, the other side, uh, th- those who oppose it. Um, uh, I think their claim is simply, look, anti-discrimination laws are anti-discrimination laws. Um, and that's a really important state interest, that people should have the right to uh, <laughs> um, go into a store and get flowers mm-hmm. or for their wedding or um, a cake for their wedding and not be discriminated against. Um, and so they see it more as, as, as less sort of like just protecting people and practicing their beliefs and more as a, uh, a way, a license to discriminate on the part of these, um, I mean, like religious businesses or, or other religious groups.
0: So getting down to the constitutional arguments against SJR, um, can you tell us a little bit about what those might be? Um, possibly explaining what the Establishment Clause is and how that comes into play?
1: Yeah, sure. This is where it gets a, a little complicated. Um, and But it, sort of at a broad theoretical level, there is, there's a tension within religious freedom. So on the one hand, we want to accommodate religious believers. And their practices, and and we do this in a lot of different ways. I mean, I've already mentioned a couple times taxes exempt status mm-hmm. for churches. Well, churches are good things. People people should be able to, to uh, set up a church, and we won't burden them with taxes or giving uh, money to uh, churches. You get a tax deduction um, for the draft. You would get an exemption if you were a pacifist uh, based on your religious beliefs. Um, so I'm a Quaker. All right, so I, I say I don't I don't believe in in war and. The government will say, okay, we respect your religious belief. We'll give you an accommodation. Um, There's also various protections for uh, uh, especially religious nonprofits for hiring. They can say, look, part of our qualifications for this job is you have to be of the same religious belief. Um, And then also uh, at the federal level, there's these laws, um, Religious Freedom Restoration Act laws. Um, There's a Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Person Act, which give sort of heightened protection to religious groups um, in general. So like the the religious... uh, Land Use and Institutionalized Person Act uh, allows prisoners sort of like to, to make claims that they should have access to chaplains or have time for uh, religious observances. All of these things are sort of like legislative accommodations for religion. They say, okay, religion's a good thing. We should recognize people's ability to practice their religion. Um, and so we're going to sort of carve out some exceptions for them. That's one side. But the problem is on the other side is that it looks like accommodations, just by being accommodations, favor religion. They offer support for it. I mean, so the, the pacifist who has uh, sincere religious beliefs um, may get a, a draft exemption, and the person who just doesn't want to fight doesn't get the exemption. Someone else has got to fight for the uh, the in the place of the religious believer. And so you might say, like, oh, the, when you accommodate, when you uh, uh, single out religion for special protection, that's a way of the state saying, we favor religion. We endorse religion because um, a very strong reading of the Establishment Clause says government can in no way, certainly not fund, certainly not suggest that it's better to be religious than not religious. It sort of it can't put its thumb on the scale in favor of religion, and that's so. The critics of this bill say this is exactly what this does. It's a very um, sort of sectarian, sort of particular religious viewpoint about marriage. Not all religious beliefs, believers, of course, Mm -hmm. oppose same-sex marriage. So you're you're definitely saying, like, okay, we're going to single out this very particular religious belief shared not by all religions but by some um, and give them special protections if they're a church or if they're a religious nonprofit or if they're a vendor. Um, And uh, so they say, well, that's a problem on its face. We should look into that. And the other problem, too, is that um, in the Supreme Court's case law, it says like, yeah, accommodations are, are permissible, but they can't cause too much harm to third parties. Um, you have to take into account how this law will impact those who don't believe in the religion, um, and uh, this is called in the literature the problem of third party harms. And uh, those who object to this say, look, I mean, you're, you're. <laughs> Causing a lot of problems for those uh, gays and lesbians who are protected by local uh, anti-discrimination laws in Missouri. You're giving them, uh, you're taking away from them a, a really strong benefit, and and why? Because you're pushing this particular religious mm-hmm. belief. Um, we saw, like, I mean, in the Kim Davis fiasco, um, this she was the person who uh, would not sort of give marriage licenses yes. to same-sex couples. I mean, there, there's a real sort of a, a very basic level, of just a real inconvenience, and in some way, sort of like a um, a harm in just being rejected to go. I like a marriage license. You know, the Supreme Court says same-sex marriage is is legal, and a public official says no. I'm sorry. So I mean, that's sort of stigmatizing. It's like it looks discriminatory, um, and so there's the worries that these are real harms, and they're harms that are done in the name of what looks to be a, a rather particular narrow uh, religious belief. Um.
0: So most of what we've been talking about right now is about state legislation, oh, but you did yeah. mention the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Right. So a lot of these bills are variations on that federal act that was passed yeah. almost unanimously by U.S. Congress in right. 1993 and signed into law by President Clinton. So yeah. can you tell us what the difference is between that bill and the sure. things that we're seeing at state level?
1: Sure. So um, – State and federal governments both have Religious Freedom Restoration Acts. And actually, Missouri does have a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, it's a little different because it, it, it um, says that uh, civil rights laws uh, passed by uh, localities still stand in the face of it. So what are Religious Freedom uh, Restoration Acts? Uh, what's their form? They, they're sort of broad-based. They say if you, a religious believer or a religious organization, can say that your belief is substantially burdened by some law, doesn't have to be a law sort of targeting your religion. It could just be a general law. Um, then the government has to show a compelling interest um, uh, in pursuing that law. This was, what was issue, uh, at issue in the Hobby Lobby case in the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. Um, and so we go uh, substantial burden and then compelling interest, and then the question is whether there's a, a least restrictive alternative um, for the government to pursue its compelling interest that doesn't burden the the religious group. And the Hobby Lobby case, was eventually decided that there was uh, a least restrictive means, and the the uh, government had to pursue that. So, what religious freedom restoration acts is, is they're sort of they're sort of broad. They say like, look, religious groups, if you have a problem with the law. Bring that to court, and the the court will decide if and, and will weigh the burden on your religious practice versus the government's interest in that law. It's very case by case. The the law uh, uh, SCR thirty nine in Missouri is much more targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less case by. Uh, it, it's less um, just sort of a general uh, protection for religious groups. In which case, courts have to look case by case uh, at the particular claim. It's really targeted towards beliefs about same sex marriage, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's a way in which I sort of prefer that model to this particularly targeted one because it, the, the risk for the establishment clause is like you're, you're favoring a particular religion. Yes, The Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and part of the reason why I think it was unanimous, it, is you had all sorts of different religious groups of all different stripes saying, mm-hmm. yes, there are occasions when the government does burden our religious practice with, with this or that law. And sort of the genius of that compromise is religious groups would all have problems with different laws. Um, here it's just sort of a, a one group that has a problem with um laws regarding discrimination against uh, those who believe, um, or discrimination mm-hmm. against gays and lesbians.
0: So we're really looking at a, a more open Religious Freedom Act um, versus these smaller, tighter ones right, that target yeah. specific and these, things. And these
1: are really sort of particularly, and that, I think it, what makes it more uh, polarizing than, say, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, um, SCR 39 is really targeted towards beliefs about same-sex marriage mm-hmm. um, and discrimination against gays and lesbians. And that that's why, I mean... The ideal of religious freedom is is something like, okay, we may not all share the same religion, some of us may have no religion at all, but we can all agree that free exercise of religion is a good thing. Um, The thing about this particular bill is it really just, uh, the more you look at it, the less it looks like just about uh, religious freedom in the abstract and more about sort of like just the rights of gays and lesbians and it sort of becomes a proxy war about Mm -hmm. uh, uh, whether uh, same-sex marriage is good or bad.
0: Well, Chad, I really want to thank you for stopping by today to discuss the religious freedom bills, um, especially SJR 39 in Missouri. This particular topic seems to be in the media a lot lately, and it's been insightful to discuss its relevance to constitutional law. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.